Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane. Uh, For those of you who are with us for the very first time, I'm glad that you're here. If you're visiting from out of town, I'm really glad you're here. I hope you have safe travels back to wherever you came from. I I met a couple this morning that were in from out of town from Fort Worth. And if you're from Fort Worth, you know that's out of town, right? It's not the same thing. So wherever you're heading back to, I hope that you travel safe. Those of you who are joining us online because you are traveling or maybe you finally got all of your family out of your house and you're getting to breathe. Um, God bless you. Thank you to all of you who hosted Thanksgiving this past week. For the rest of us who just got to enjoy it, um, I hope that wherever you found yourself, uh, that you found yourself with good company. And I hope that if you found yourself alone, that you'll tell your church so that you don't have to do that ever again, right? I hope that this past week was a week of grace for you. Uh, and, and I hope that you are ready for this season of Advent that we are entering. Um, So maybe you don't know what Advent is. We're we're starting a new sermon series for the season of Advent. It is the season of preparation for Christmas. So in the Methodist Church, uh, before Christmas and before Easter, we have these seasons of preparation, of waiting and anticipation. For Easter, it's called Lent, and for Christmas, it's called Advent, and it's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And so this is a season of waiting. It's a season of anticipation. It's it's a season of, of holy expectation, looking for those points of light in this Sunday with this Sunday of hope, looking for those points of hope in our lives that sometimes are hard to see until it gets really dark out. And then all of a sudden, those points of light and points of hope become a lot easier to see. We're going to say more about that in a a little bit. So um, to help us in our journey today, we're going to be looking at the words of Paul. And and other thing you should know is that for those of you who filled out little wish cards uh, that we were handing out in preparation for the season, we've read those, and um, it's clear that that we are a community who are who are hoping and wishing and praying for some pretty mighty things. And sometimes they're simple things, but they're still mighty, right? Simple things like peace, not only for the world but also in our family, right? Uh, maybe you're hoping or wishing or praying for good health. Um, maybe you're hoping, praying, wishing for um, some kind of miracle that would impact you or your family. Um, and so I know that the words of Advent season, hope, peace, joy, love, these are not trivial or trite words. These are meaningful words uh, that we carry with us. So today we're talking about hope. And this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to help us find hope. Um, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, this is... Uh, the letter following the book of Acts in your New Testament, if you don't open your Bible or your Bible app. Uh, the letter to the Romans, considered Paul's masterpiece. Uh, it is uh, lengthy. It is dense. It is hard to get through without a good study Bible. Um, Paul is laying out some of the most incredible theology that no one had really been able to synthesize until he put this pen to paper and, and, and made it into what would become church doctrine for us. I, I forget so often when I read Paul how in many ways um, you know they're building the bridge as they walk across it. There was no creed to tell them what to believe yet. He was understanding these things in many ways for the very first time, and, and, and that's not the part of the letter we're going to read today. Uh, that's the first half of the letter when Paul gets really theological and really heady and really up in the air, and then he makes this turn, and he begins to talk about life here on earth, and he begins to talk about the realities of these theologies, right? How do they change the way in which we live? As, as, as a preacher, it's that point when you move to life application. What's this going to do for me on Monday morning, right? That's what Paul is getting at when we find him in chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. 
He's told the church everything he can tell them about how to understand their faith. And now he's wanting them to begin living it. And so he's getting into just some of the tic-tac stuff of life. And so uh, before we read this morning, it's just a few short verses. It's just verses 11 through 14, four verses. Before we read them, though, I want us to pray over them. If this is your first Sunday with us, we do this uh, because we believe in the Christian church that, that this is more than just printed words on a page. It's a living text, and we invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of it. And so that's why we pray before we read the Bible. So let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your presence with us. Whether our table this past week was full of family we love, full of family that we're not sure how we feel about, or even if it was just us at a TV tray, we know that you were with us, God. That we never are truly alone. And God, some of us enter into the Advent season and our radio has been tuned to Christmas songs for two weeks already. And we are in a season of joy and light and life and everything is the best it's ever been. And some of us feel like we are in the darkest corner of our life yet. And so God, this morning, as we're looking for hope, remind us that sometimes it's in the darkest of nights when the stars shine the brightest. And as we read these words, Allow us to find your points of light scattered throughout them so that we might find hope that could allow us to face today and tomorrow and the rest of our lives. Allow these words to leap off of the screens and off the pages of our Bibles and into our hearts so that they'll change the way that we live. In the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, we pray and we say, amen. Amen. So, I'm gonna be reading from the Common English Bible translation, uh, which says this. Paul says this, beginning in verse 11. As you do all this, you know what time it is. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your sleep. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first had faith. The night is almost over, and the day is near. So let's get rid of the actions that belong to the darkness and put on the weapons of light. Let's behave appropriately as people who live in the day, not in partying and getting drunk, not in sleeping around and obscene behavior, not in fighting and obsession. Instead, dress yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't plan to indulge your selfish desires. It's the word of God for the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. So I, I want to walk through this scripture. You know, this was this week we were in Kansas City, and I didn't have my library of Bible commentaries and resources at my disposal. I just had to sit with the text and read it. Can you imagine a preacher just sitting with the Bible and nothing else, right? And Google and my laptop, but whatever. Um, and so I really just want to walk through this text and, and talk about the ways in which it caused me to reflect this week, uh, specifically around this theme of hope and where we can find hope, not only in this text but in our lives. Because this was a, this was a, a passage I read, and at first I thought, what? What does this have to do with Christmas? What does this have to do with Advent? What does this have to do with me? And by the end I thought, wow, I, this is what I needed to hear this week. And so I hope it's something that you need to hear as well. First thing I, I want to say is this, this first verse. He says, besides this, you know what time it is. You know what time it is. I want to ask you the question, do you know what time it is? 
Do you know what time it is? What time is it? Really? Anybody? What time is it? Say that louder. Say it real loud. Howdy duty time. Not what I was expecting. You got me. Good job. Stump the preacher. What time is it? Anybody? If I were to ask you just person to person, hey, what time is it? What, what do you do? Check your watch. Pull out your phone. What time is it, right? You pull out your Apple watch. I don't know. Whatever watch you've got. Um, you, you, you go to your time. I very rarely leave the house without my watch on. And if I do, Reagan, God is my witness, I will turn the car around and go back to get my watch. I hate not knowing what time it is. I was the kid in class that would watch the clock in the back of the room, tick, 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 as those ticks got slower, as it got closer to the end of the period. You know what I'm talking about. Who else in the room loves to know what time it is? I can tell you what time it is. I probably don't even need to check my watch because I probably checked it two minutes ago, and I can tell you exactly roughly what time, exactly roughly, that's a very Scott thing to say. I can tell you exactly roughly what time it is. Um, When Paul says, you know what time it is, he's not talking about this kind of time. There's a very good word for this kind of time in the ancient Greek with which Paul wrote. That's the word chronos, right? Chronological, right? It's this idea of the the ticking hands on a watch, right? It's this time that we set, that we understand as human beings. It's the way in which we order our lives. That's chronos time. That's not the time that Paul is talking about. He is not telling you that you know what time chronos is. It is. He says, you know what time kairos, what kind of kairos time it is. A kairos time is not a chronos time. It's not the ticking hands on a watch clock. It is the time that God lives by. It is a cosmic universal time. It's, it's the time of seasons. And really there's a connotation that it's a moment or a window of opportunity that will not last forever. Kairos time is a window of opportunity that will not last forever. Do you know what time it is? Do you know the window of opportunity in which you find yourself today? Do you know what time it is? Don't tell me what time it is. Do you know what time it is? Advent is a a kairos time. It's a window of opportunity. It's a moment that will not last forever, a moment of preparation, of expectation, of anticipation. And if we lose ourselves, if we get lost, get disoriented and begin to live by a chronos time of when's the next party and how many items do I still have to get on all my friends' wish lists and oh my gosh, have I put that in the oven and which recipe will I make for this event? We'll be very good at telling our chronos time and very bad at knowing our kairos time. Do you know what time it is? It's Advent. It's the time to breathe just a little bit. Cancel a plan for the love of God. And I mean that in a literal sense. For the love of God, cancel a plan. Do you know what time it is? This is a time when sweet little infant baby Jesus, right, Talladega Nights, is going to come in a little less than a month. We get to receive the infant, newborn, precious, pure, and perfect Christ again, and we are going to waste our time doing things that ultimately will not deepen our faith or broaden the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to make light of the traditions and the joys that you find in the Christmas season. 
I love watching Home Alone and Christmas Vacation. I, I love, you know, decorating the tree. I don't really love decorating the tree, truth be told. I love watching people decorate the tree. But that's not what time it is. On a spiritual level, do you know what time it is? It's time for us to hit pause on our lives just a little bit during the season of Advent and to consider what it means to wait with holy anticipation for the coming King. That's what time it is. So with that in our minds, let's keep walking through Paul, knowing what time it is and considering where this hope can be points of light for us in life. So he goes on and he says, it is now the moment, or or from our common English Bible translation, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your sleep. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your sleep. Now, maybe it's because I have my infant son, Jude, in the back with my mom. Thanks, mom. And, and, and maybe it's because he's here with me for the very first time on our campus this Sunday. But I've got babies on the brain, right? And if you know babies, you know that babies are good at helping you wake up, right? Anybody with babies in the house in the room right now, are they good at making you wake up? Folks, you're about to have babies who I know are in the room. Just get ready. They're going to help you wake up. They do. They do that. So they do that so well, in fact, I, am, I used to be terrible at sleeping through everything. Reagan can also tell you this is true. I could sleep through, you know, thunderstorms, a train passing by the window. One time we were at a hotel that was very nice and had a fireplace in the room, and I left it running, and I fell asleep, and she woke up, and it was, I was just covered in sweat. And she's like, you are never getting us out of a burning building. You're just going to sleep right through it. Like, I'm going to have to get everything and just go ahead and start picking out your gravestone because you're not going to wake up. You can sleep through anything, so much that when Andy was first born... We're in the hospital room, right? And it's after the end of a very long day, and I was very tired. Husbands, we are so tired after that experience, right? They're little jokes. There's little jokes. You just put them in your pocket, and you move on. So, um, so of course, we're both exhausted, right? We, equal effort. And uh, no. <laughs> I'm just going to keep milking that one. Uh, so, uh, you know, we've got Andy, and we've like, keep this thing alive for the next 18 years, right? That's the deal, right? And so, um, you know, we get her, try to swaddle her up, and she hates the swaddle, and, you know, we're not sure what to do. And we finally get her to sleep, though, and oh, those first moments when they're asleep, you're like, just nobody breathe. Nobody breathe, nobody touch it. And you go, I lay down on the couch, and I go and try to get a few minutes of, of some precious sleep. And the next thing I remember, I feel something hitting my head. And I'm standing at the changing table in the hospital room. Andy's diaper is off. There's another one that's halfway on her head. Reagan is in the process of throwing everything she can find because she can't get out of bed because she's in recovery. She's throwing everything she can at my head to wake me up because she realizes I'm like sleepwalking, changing this baby's diaper, and it's going terribly, right? It's going terribly. Luckily, over the years, I've gotten better at waking up when the baby cries, admittedly not as good as some people in my family would like me to be, but babies have a way of waking you up over time. Even I, the guy who can sleep through anything, have learned how to wake up at the cry of a baby. Babies have a way of doing that. How many of us typically sleepwalk through the Advent season? I know I do. You know, I'm, I'm all about Christmas. I'm like, let's have baby Jesus everywhere all the time today, right? How many of you put your nativity sets up and put Jesus in the nativity set? 
Theologically, you are incorrect, right? No, I mean, seriously, we have ours up in our house too. But I mean, how many of us go through the motions year after year and we watch the same movies and we light the same candles and we sing the same songs and we wear the same tacky sweater and we go to the same parties and we eat the same stuff and we hate the same gifts? And doesn't that just sound like a total brain-killing mess, right? When what it should be is this moment of like crazy, amazing history making that we get to remember and anticipate every single year and we're sleepwalking through it. And we're making a mess of it in the process. We've got a diaper on baby Jesus' head and we don't notice anything's wrong. The first point of light, the first piece of hope I hear from Paul is the hope that comes from knowing that the newborn Christ, God willing, is gonna wake me up this year. Snap me out of whatever sleepwalking rhythm I found myself in, of just doing the same thing year in, year out. It doesn't give me life. It doesn't give me joy. It doesn't give me peace. It doesn't give me hope. And I just do it because I'm supposed to. I'm going to say it again. For the love of God, cancel a plan. Do something different this year. Shake things up. Maybe you might have an Advent Kairos experience. That's the first piece of hope I find in in Paul's words for us today. Second piece of hope I find comes in the the next verses when he says this. He says, the night, or he says, now, now. He says the word now, like immediately, this moment. Now, our salvation is nearer than when we first had faith. The night is almost over, and the day is near. Let me tell you why that's hope for me. Now, you guys may or may not know this, but if you know me well, you certainly do. I am what some would call a procrastinator. I know, it's a shock. It's a shock. Uh, Reagan, am I a good procrastinator? Answer is, I'm the best procrastinator. I can put things off into the last millisecond and usually get it done, right? That's the mark of a good procrastinator, right? We say, well, I usually get it done, right? Five minutes late, a week late, whatever. Don't ask Reagan which projects I've said I'm going to get to and I haven't yet. That's just not good for our marriage, right? So just don't even bring that up. I don't need that in my life right now. I'm having a Kairos moment, okay? Um, I'm a procrastinator. I put things off to the very last second. Who else are the procrastinators in the room? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask people next to you to raise your hand. Who are the procrastinators in the room? Yeah? Because you might not know you are one, but I bet you everyone else around you does, right? And so um, here's the good news. Can I share some? Here's a point of hope for my procrastinators. Recently I learned I'm not actually a procrastinator. I went to this leadership development retreat, and you know, leadership development, they're very good at reframing things, right? To what you think are weaknesses, they're actually strengths. And so I took the Myers-Briggs, which I've historically hated, because I feel like that's a test that no matter how you wake up, you get different results. Like one day I wake up, I don't like people that much. I'm an introvert, you know? Or one day I wake up, I'm like, people are cool, I'm an extrovert. Like, I, I don't know, it's always felt kind of, you know, uh, weird, horoscopy. No offense to my horoscope fans in the room. A little offense. Horoscopy. It felt horoscopy. I'm just not sold yet. Keep working on me. Sarah Carlock's going to write me an email now. So um, I take the Myers-Briggs again. They give us our results. This time they, dr- they drill really deep. They do like there's like five subcategories under each letter and it's all this stuff. It's very well researched. Blah, 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 blah. But I get to the part of the results that I really like because it, t- it tells me, Scott, you know, you're someone who values structure in your life. And you value, you know, knowing what what things are happening. You actually do like to have a plan in mind, but you are what we call pressure prompted. (laughs) 
I'm not a procrastinator, gang. I'm pressure prompted. That just means that I, see, it's a strength because I do my best work when I put it off to the last second, right? So I need to leverage that. No, I'm kidding. I know I still need to work on this. Like, I'm sure people that work with me here at Lover's Lane are like, never go back to that leadership retreat ever again. Um, we need your stuff in before the deadline. Yes, Didi, I, I, I know. I'm working on it. So, um, Pressure prompted. Some of us are pressure prompted people. I think that the church is pressure prompted. And I think that we've lost a lot of that pressure over the last 2,000 years. The Apostle Paul knew how to prompt pressure, right? He had, a, he had an understanding of Jesus that came with it a sense of urgency. Paul believed, truly believed, that Jesus could come back on Tuesday probably was going to come back on Tuesday. And this whole world's a mess, and it's our jobs to preach the gospel and be love and light in the world today, and Jesus is going to come back and see how we're doing on Tuesday. So church, it's time to get to work, right? That's the kind of leadership style that Paul had. That's what he's saying to this church in Rome. He's saying, guys, right now salvation is nearer than it was when we came to faith. Now, to some of us, that sounds really good. I'm going to say, that, I'm going to say more about that in a second. But for some of us, that is a regular old butt kick. And he's saying Jesus might be coming back tomorrow. So let's stop fighting. Let's stop doing weird church stuff. Let's stop hosting the other, another potluck just because we want to. Let's stop doing all the things that we know we're, that we just do because we've always done them, doing the same routine, sleepwalking through our faith. Let's stop doing all that because, guys, Jesus is going to come back. And we have got a lot of work to do. He was prompting some pressure in the early Christian church. Over 2,000 years, we've lost a lot of that pressure. How many of us believe that Jesus is going to come back on Tuesday? And I, I even say that with a little bit of sarcasm because I don't believe Jesus is coming back on Tuesday. But does that mean I shouldn't live my life like it? Does that mean I shouldn't practice my faith as though salvation truly is nearer today than it was yesterday? That I am living in a Kairos moment in this life. I have a window of opportunity that I have to seize because it will not last forever. Salvation is nearer today than it was yesterday. Now, that's, for me, I need that to be a convicting statement. But for some, it can be a very grace-filled statement. It is both. Frequently in the Christian faith, we find things that on one hand are convicting and on the other hand are comforting. If you find yourself in an incredibly depressing dark time, if you feel like you are being pressured from every single angle, if the last thing you need is one more person telling you to do something, to you, Paul says, salvation is nearer today than it was yesterday. The night is ending and the day is coming. Just hold on, right? Some of us, like me, need a little bit more pressure. Some of us need some grace, need some room. And Paul's offering both. This morning, if you need to hear, hey, are you living as though Jesus could actually come back? Are you living with the kind of pressure prompting that the early church had? Then, then, then hear that. But this morning, if you need to hear, hey, salvation is coming. Exactly where you are. Right now, this moment, it is nearer today than it was yesterday. Take hope in that. Then, then, then breathe a little bit and allow yourself to find hope in that. Reagan's favorite game to play when she comes home is, when I come home, will Scott be loading the dishes as I walk in when I asked him to load them when I left, right? I need that pressure prompting. Anybody else that honeydew is like a challenge? It's like a time trial? How can I get this stuff down to the shortest amount of time possible? So Paul keeps going. 
He gives him a little pressure, but he also tells him salvation is so close. The day is coming. And so then he, he gets down to brass tacks. He says, let us then lay aside the works of darkness. I'm going to read what's on the screens because I, I brought my wrong Bible. Not my wrong Bible, a different Bible. You're not the wrong Bible. You're a good Bible. You're just different. You're just different. So... Um, he says, so let's get rid of the actions that belong to the darkness and put on the weapons of light. He's saying, let's stop living as though Jesus isn't real and begin living as though God's love is. Let's behave appropriately as people who live in the day, not in partying and getting drunk. You can cancel some plans for Christmas right now. Um, I'm just kidding. That was like another little joke. Not in sleeping around in obscene behavior, not in fighting and obsession, so let's all be clear. You read those first four words, and some of you were like, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't been drunk, but not been sleeping around. Fighting an obsession. Okay, we just came from Thanksgiving, right? Let's put off fighting an obsession. Instead, dress yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't plan to indulge your selfish desires. Instead, dress yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting... Advent and Christmas are kind of an interesting ritual in the church because we, we await the coming of Jesus and yet we know that Jesus is here, right? It's kind of that both and of, of the Christian faith. We, we, we remember what it's like to wait for the coming of Jesus and yet we also know that, that Jesus is with us, right? Jesus is alive. And, and when Paul says, clothe yourself, dress yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, I think what he's saying is surround yourself with Jesus and then also remember that Jesus has always been surrounding you, right? I don't think that we have to reach out and grab Jesus and put him on like a coat. I think in a way it's a, it's a remembering that, wait a second, Jesus isn't just beside me, in front of me, behind me, above me, below me. Jesus surrounds me in everything that I am and in all that I do. See, it can be easy to feel lost and without hope when we feel like we are alone and we feel like we can't see Jesus, especially as people of faith. Now, if you're, if you're not a person of faith in the room and this is your first Sunday in church, you might not know what I'm talking about, but for people of faith, there is a hopelessness that comes when we feel like we can't see Jesus in our lives. And a lot of times that can accompany us in seasons of grief. I know for me it did a little bit recently. A couple weeks ago on a Saturday night, my grandmother passed away. Anne Owens Gilliland, proud Fort Worth native. She couldn't stand Dallas. She was a proud cowtowner, proud horn frog. And she was, a, she was a bit of a firecracker. She used to say when she was younger, she said, when I die, I want my skin to be all used up. And she meant she was going to sit outside on a beach, and she wasn't always going to wear sunscreen. She was going to use her skin all up. Um, <laughs> she was kind of cool like that. So she passed away, and it was honestly probably a good thing. Her body had been failing for a number of years, and more recently her mind had. And so it was good that, you know, that night she felt a little funny, and then her heart stopped working, and then she went to be with the Lord. And I thought that I'd be okay, you know, kind of like how I thought I'd be okay after my grandfather passed, and he had Alzheimer's as well. Um, but, you know, grief's a funny thing. It kind of itches you and gnaws you. And when you try to pretend like it's not there, sometimes it gets even worse, right? 
And so I'm driving to Kansas, or not even before I drove to Kansas City, that week before Thanksgiving, I was sort of sitting, I was starting to get really bummed out, thinking about this, grieving, dealing with it, right? And I began to wonder, how is God going to show up in this? Because I'm not responding the way that I thought that I would. I feel like I should feel better about this than I do. And then uh, that evening, we went to uh, a Friendsgiving. Anybody have any Friendsgivings this past week? Friendsgivings are the best. It's the family you choose. Because let's be honest, if you got to choose, they wouldn't all be there. Right? Friendsgiving is the best. We, we brought, everybody brought whatever they wanted. It was way too many carbs. So many carbs and dairy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to make any jokes about that right now. So... Um, yes, they were poop jokes, if you were wondering. Um, so I'm sitting at Friendsgiving, and I'm sitting and looking at all the faces of these people that know me and love me exactly who I am, and not who I pretend to be or try to be, but exactly who I am. Man, that, that was a point of light, a point of hope for me. I saw Jesus at that table. And then we drove to Kansas City and, and got welcomed in by this family. Reagan and I celebrated eight years of marriage uh, about a week ago, and got welcomed in by this family that when I asked for her hand in marriage, we've been dating for like weeks, y'all, weeks, and, they, and they've always loved me exactly as one of their own, and I saw Jesus in that. We had Thanksgiving, uh, and everybody made their favorite dish, again, way too many carbs. I made mac and cheese, and my mac and cheese is better than your mac and cheese, and I'll fight you on that one. <laughs> And my, my brother-in-law made tofurkey. I had never heard of this before. It is uh, blasphemous, if you're at wondering. I think they spoke against it in one of the councils of Nicaea or something. Uh, no, it's tofu made in the shape of, well, a dookie. And you slice it up and you eat it. And I'm like, I get that you're vegetarian, but my mac and cheese is right there. Just eat that. It's way better. Um, I, saw, I saw Jesus in that. I did. I saw Jesus in, in that. Went on a whiskey tour. Yeah, now I'm meddling. Uh, your preacher went on a tour of a distillery. Went into the tape. I still don't know how it works. Precis- they send it up tubes, and it comes down tubes, and they make the corn into whiskey. I don't know. Um, and we went to the tasting room, and I, of course, I didn't taste any of it. Um, and I met the three Felixes, Felix, Felix, and Felix Rodriguez, the second, the third, and the fourth. The, the first was deceased, and... Uh, and third Felix's wife, Zulma, and they were from originally Puerto Rico, and the third Felix lives in Virginia now, and he is a retired uh, from the Navy, and the fourth Felix lives in Lawrence, Kansas, and he works in domestic violence relief in Lawrence, Kansas. And we sat and we talked with them for hours, hours, these folks that we never would have met otherwise, and heard their stories, and thought to myself, man, you know, I am thankful for the country I live in and the kind of people I can meet that just cross my path in a distillery in Kansas City of all places, I saw Jesus in that moment. My point in sharing this with you is that I think the hope and the promise of Advent is is not in the -the over-the-top and the spectacle. It's not in bright, shiny gifts with huge, shiny bows on top. It's not in Santa's way-too-decked-out chair at North Park, even though it does look so good for pictures. It's not in a bow on top of a Lexus or whatever the commercials think I'm supposed to be getting my wife. You know, you're getting earrings, I think. They're from Target. (laughs) So, spoiler. Um, 
It's not in that stuff. That's not where our hope is found. Paul reminds us that the hope that we find in Christ comes from something much simpler and much deeper than that. The hope that we find in Christ, the kind of hope that can be a balm to our grief, that can be a light in our darkness, is is a hope that comes out of seeing that your life is wrapped up in Jesus. In the simple moments, in the quiet moments, in the moments full of belly laughs and even with tears, where there's good food and there's good drink and there's good people to share it. That's hope. Those are kairos moments. Windows of opportunity to see Jesus in the really simple but the really deep and the really special. To see the light and love of God is real this Advent. So church, I want to ask you again, do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? It's a Kairos moment called Advent. So wake up. And see Jesus again. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this Kairos moment that we call Advent. The season of preparation, anticipation, of awaiting the coming of your son, Jesus the Christ, in the perfect and pure form of a child. So God, as we go about our lives, as we walk through our cram-packed calendars, or perhaps as we encounter loneliness and loss in a new way this year, God, don't allow us to be lost in it. Wake us up from our sleep. Shine the lights in the darkness. Let us see that Jesus is real, not just in the -the over-the-top and the shiny and the slick, but God, let us see Jesus in the eyes of loved ones and the laughter, and the tears, and the smell of warm pie, and the crackling of a fire, and new, meeting new strangers that you put upon our paths. God, let us meet Jesus. This Advent, let us meet Jesus again. In the name of your Son, amen.